How do you create present and future value? As a trusted advisor for CFOs, private equity sponsors, and corporate functional leaders, Cross Country Consulting solves today's most pressing challenges and creates present and future enterprise value with tailored integrated solutions for accounting and risk, technology-enabled transformation, and transactions. Working as a strategic partner and collaborative part of your team, they can help you see around corners and generate value for your business. The future-ready business, in sight and within reach. Go to crosscountry-consulting.com to learn more. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. I love talking to people who are smarter than me, and Liv Bury is a lot smarter than me. She is a retired champion poker player with a background, get this, in astrophysics. Now she's a media personality and podcaster who loves digging into topics like AI, game theory, and more. And that's what we talked about, a whole bunch of things. But the root was all about competition, and more importantly, how we can prevent our own desires to compete and excel from actually working against us. This is a bit of optimism. How do you define yourself? Because you you are a Jane of all trades. Yeah. I mean, I I have here that I didn't even know this all about you. This is great. You were a guitar player in metal bands. You were a cage dancer in clubs. You were a game show contestant, an astrophysicist, a professional poker player. Like the craziest path. I'll ask you the dreaded question. If you're at a bar and you meet somebody or at a, you know, sitting next to someone on a plane, Liv, what do you do? I am someone who is trying to understand how we, a healthier relationship with competition and more, generate more win-win scenarios in the world and and also help figure out how we align the things that we do in our work with the good of the whole. That tends to lead you down the path of things like AI safety, um, how to make business practices more aligned with, you know, what's actually sustainable for humanity and so on. See, I can't answer the question. It's very, it's a very long winded thing. Uh, But basically, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm like a, I don't know, science communicator. Well, I'm going to come back to this. Okay. I'm not letting you off the hook. There's something that I find very interesting about you and how you describe yourself, which is, and I want to make sure that I get the word right, which is you call yourself pathologically competitive, <laughs> right? This is interesting to me because I am not that. I'm competitive in different ways. I am curious 
A, what does that mean and how you define that? And then we're going to go down oh, <laughs> this <God>. rabbit hole. <laughs> well, I should caveat that with I used to be pathologically competitive. Well, if it's pathological. You can you can cure pathologies or you okay. can outgrow things. Okay. You, can, you can morph over time. People okay. are changeable. So, uh, so let's, okay. So you used to be. <laughs> yes. From what age did this begin? The moment I could think and reason and speak and do, I think. So you wanted to be out of the womb quicker than all the other kids in the in Yeah, the, I had to be the, the first. I had to be the best. I was competitive in the classic sense that I wanted to win, but the pathological was that it was sort of like my default state of being. It would often manifest, I would say, in sort of unhealthy ways. Now that I've got this like the luxury of time and maturity and so on, I can look back and be like, yeah, you know what? That probably wasn't optimal. Give because... me an example of when, when it was suboptimal. Um, which is an ironic term to use when you're talking about pathological competitiveness. So when it would like manifest in things like jealousy. Mm -hmm. um, Give me an example. When I was like starting out in poker, I would feel literally, I mean, no, there's no better word for it, jealousy. When another woman who was of the same like sort of, you know, if, it's, if she was young, especially if she was kind of attractive, if, if she had a success in a tournament, even though it made no difference to me, like I would feel this deep jealousy. And even... In a tournament you weren't even in. If, well, yeah, or I'd already busted out of or whatever. Right. And I'd be like paying attention, like, oh God, I hope she doesn't like make the final table, which is just like, I look back on that, I'm like, what on earth, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, and that's that was this like, this unhealthy competitiveness. Yeah. That it was just like, the, the reason why I would like this, this ego, this, yeah. this shitty part of my ego would yeah. feel threatened by her is because actually she fit the same demographic as me. Yeah. If she was an older woman or like a dude, like I didn't feel any jealousy towards a dude when they won, you know, I bet like 98% of people in poker tournaments are, are, are men. So was there an event that helped you overcome this pathology or was it more subtle or was it just age that, you know, you sort of at one point woke up and were like, that's like you look back and be like that was stupid or was there actually something that slapped you around that made you realize no there was no sudden like wake up but it was just over time as i got older i was like this doesn't seem yeah. you know and like speaking to performance coaches and people like that yeah. you know they're like you know focus on yourself it's all about the process the only person you should be competitive with especially in poker is yourself right how did i perform against myself two months ago right. a year ago or whatever so all these little tidbits of general wisdom yeah. that I slowly started accumulating um, helped sort of mellow it. Also, then I got, you know, when I had more success, it made it a little bit easier. But it, even when I was like sort of peak of my poker career and success, it, it, that still, it was still in there somehow. It's like yeah. this, this deep... Insecurity. Yeah, insecurity or something. Yeah. Um, you know, this, I've talked about this and I've wrote, written about this as well. I, and I, I can empathize almost to a T with what you're saying. You know, there's somebody else who does what I do, who writes books, gives talks, all that stuff. And I would regularly log on to Amazon and check his book rankings. Mm -hmm. And if he was ahead of me, I, I had a an anger. There's no other way to describe it. I'd sit by myself staring at the Amazon ranking with anger, you know? And if I was ahead in the book rankings that arbitrary day that I happened to check, you know, I, I'd sort of be really full of myself, you know? This sort of like, huh, there you go. That's That's correct, you know? All is right with the world. All is right with the world. Justice, I, I'm clearly, is, I'm clearly yeah. ahead in the ranking, <laughs> you know? And so, so was this guy also kind of in the similar yeah, realm? Very, yeah, yeah. We speak at the same conferences and we knew each other. We were always very polite to each other. And same as you, I never did anything to him. Nothing ever happened. I never sort of said anything. I never undermined him. Right. But like when people would bring up his name in polite conversation and I would seethe. Yeah, like, I'd be like, oh yeah, he's so smart. And inside I'd be like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I would seethe at the very mention of his name. 
we were invited to speak at the same conference and, and not like me in the morning, him in the afternoon, but we were going to be interviewed together on the same stage. And the interviewer decided that instead of introducing us, we should introduce each other. And I went first and I turned to him. And instead of sort of like telling the audience, like who he was, mm -hmm. I turned to him and I said, you make me really insecure. Wow. I said, you make me really uncomfortable. I said, every time your name comes up, I get really uncomfortable. And it's because all of your strengths are all of my weaknesses. And he turned to me and said, funny, I think the same about you. Interesting. It was in that moment that I learned that all of my anger, seething, you know, contempt, pride, all of those had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with me. It's his mere existence reminded me of my failings or my weaknesses. And it was much easier to take it out at him or on him than it was for me to simply deal and focus on myself. And like you in poker, like multiple people can win multiple tournaments. Turns out people can buy more than one book. I'm competing against absolutely nothing. I'm competing against my imagination. Mm. But I have found that that pathological competition, which is when you're trying to beat someone in a running race, have at it. I mean, that is actually the goal, which is to outrun them. But when you're, I'm trying to beat someone in a game that literally has no end, like promotions at work, compliments from boss, book sale, like literally there is no finish line and no one could ever be declared a winner. It's a, it's a stupid game. That that is where I found a competitive spirit to be incredibly unhealthy. Yes. Because you can actually find yourself doing things to destroy them or destroy yourself. It's a false zero sumness. It's a false zero sumness. Right. You're seeing something as a fixed pie that if they get a chunk of it, then that means less for you. Yeah. But actually in reality, especially in something like being an author or a speaker, it's such a you're literally creating something out of nothing. I love talking to you about things like competing and competition, A, because you are competitive and a high performer, but your opinions and points of view on competition, I find really interesting. In particular, I've heard you talk about the changing nature of poker as computers and mathematics have been introduced to this. And so what was poker like before computers showed up? Like who are the good poker players? What right. made them good? If you want to go really like back prior to online poker yeah. in any way, almost uniformly the best players, with the exception of maybe this guy Stu, Stu Unger, who was younger, um, and Phil Helmuth. Who the won. younger Unger? Yeah, the, the ones who were celebrated as the best players were typically older. They were very much kind of casino hustlers. You know, cowboys. They, yeah, cowboys. They've been Sometimes they even down, look like cowboys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like Doyle Brunson, classic actual cowboy. Um, or at least he always wore a cowboy hat. And, you know, these were guys who had just spent so much time hustling in casinos, playing against all different sort of characters. They developed really good intuitions about human behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of these sort of great plays they would make I don't think they would even understand them themselves they wouldn't be able to explain and break down through logic why they did the play they did they just had such good intuitions that that was sufficient to outplay everyone else right but then once online poker came along and certainly a bit later on sort of in after 2010 we started seeing uh, analysis software. So you can now run statistics. Exactly. Through the analysis and say, you should have played this hand or you should have waited or whatever. Right. You can see sort of like, oh, in the small blind, I tend to be losing more than expectation. I'm playing these positions well, but these ones not so well. So you can start to pinpoint. And then from 2015 onwards, we then had what are called simulators. Basically, you could input a sort of fictitious situation. 
uh, or a real situation actually, and then press play and mm -hmm. it would run for, let's say, eight hours to find the optimal solutions. Wow. This was a game changer because now you actually could find out what the mathematically optimal solutions are and then whoever was willing to sit and like memorize those could right. incorporate them into their game and when they then go and play. So did All you right. play gut or did you memorize the mathematics? Um, I did, tried to do both. You can't really learn how to exploit your opponents unless you know what optimal play is in the first place. Mm. And so you need to know that stuff and then develop good understanding of what people do when they are deviating from that so that you can figure out how to exploit them. So I forgot which book it was, but there was a book that talked about like the importance of experience and gut. And they gave a few different incredible examples. And I remember one of them, which was, and it's true, it was a true story, it's a case study of a group of firefighters, like um, I think they were sort of forest firefighters. And they were out in the field, and one of them was the senior one, the older one, and the rest of them were, you know, young guys. And a wind had picked up, and a wall of fire was burning the dry grass and approaching them at an incredible speed. There was panic. They all dropped their equipment and started running. And they could just slightly outrun the fire if they ran at full pace. And the older guy, they, the problem was the older guy looked ahead, and they were coming up to a hill. And he starts screaming at them, duck down, duck down, duck down, stop running, duck mm. down. And they all ignored him because when there's a fire coming at you, stopping yeah. is, doesn't, is not no. the thing you want to do. But the old guy stopped, got on the ground, covered his head and just lay there. And the fire was going so quickly that it just ran right over him, rendering no damage to him, no, no mm. harm to him. And when they started up the hill, the fire caught up to them and killed all of them. Ugh. And no one taught them that. No one taught them how a fire works, that don't worry, it's burning so quickly that it won't burn you. And this older guy, the, he was never taught it. It just occurred to him in the moment. He knew, the gut told him, this is what you have to do. And in this book, I just remember case study after case study of these kinds of things were experience that something tells me that the data says this. And they gave examples of where the data said you have to do this, but oh, I'm not going to trust the data. I'm going to mm. follow my gut here. And so what I think is so interesting about the rise of algorithms, and let's be clear what an algorithm is. I mean, the term is bandied about so much, right? It's simply a list of instructions. A recipe to bake a cake is an algorithm. Yes. And the algorithm says, if this, then that. That's all it is, is a list of instructions. But we become so obsessed with mathematics, algorithms, and all of this. Even the way that marketing used to be a gut thing, now it's just an algorithm thing. Mm. You know, you'd A-B test something and their decision's made. I don't care how experienced you are. What is the role of gut anymore when we can have computational speeds that are so quick? Like, do humans even get the chance to make a decision anymore in anything we do? Right. My theory is, and I, I don't know this for sure, um, and I don't think the science is at all accepted, but my theory is, is that just our brains are doing all kinds of, you know, there's so much information going in mm. all the time. Mm. And memories that are laid down, you know, the... If you asked me what I did on January 14th, 2012, mm. I would not be able to tell you. But if mm. you showed me a picture of that day, yeah. suddenly I'm in and I, I can probably remember the day roughly. Mm -hmm. Something to do at least where I was. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So those memories are in there. We just don't seem to be able to access them. My suspicion is when we have these like intuitive insights, it is basically our brains are we've got all this data there and there's some kind of processing going on that we can't really access, but then sometimes when it's just necessary, it, it comes through. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest challenges in poker, frankly, is knowing when to 
go with the maths, what the maths says. Like, you know, there have been many situations in poker where like very clearly the math says, okay, I have to fold my hand. Mm -hmm. I have to fold my hand. Mm -hmm. This is clearly, I have a terrible mm -hmm. hand, like given everything. And, but there's just something mm -hmm. that my intuition my gut is saying, they're bluffing you, Liv. You, I know you've got crap hand, but you've got a call. Uh, you know, or vice versa. And the challenge is, is knowing when to listen to your gut because it's not always right. Yeah, sure. And like certainly, you know, over my, my gut after 10 years of playing was much better than two years of playing. Sure. There have been times where I've ignored the maths and gone with my gut and it was absolutely right. And I felt like a superhero. Mm -hmm. And there have been times when I've ignored the maths, gone with my gut and I was dead wrong. And I felt mm. like an absolute idiot. And it's so, so hard. Mm. And what I've found that, so that the fire, the fire thing, for example, mm. like, and that's, that's the other thing. I do think there's to a degree some sort of knowledge stored almost you know, you know, our nervous system goes through our body. Like I've been reading a bit about this idea of like somatic processing mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. the body holding, but you know, but the body essentially holds knowledge in different ways. Mm -hmm. You can't get anything more visceral than running for your life from a fire, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it wouldn't surprise me if like, God knows what years of evolution and so on has mm -hmm. ingrained in our human bodies. And mm -hmm. this guy was able to switch off like his linear processing, mm -hmm. you know, system two, the, the logic, whatever. The point is in panic, I don't think our guts serve us very well. And I think we're always taught, stay calm, stay calm, because even though you're not quote unquote thinking, but I think the ability to see patterns that you wouldn't ever be, because I think that's where mm. gut operates. You know, mathematics deals with if this, then that. Right, it's linear. It's linear, yeah. Whereas our guts are nonlinear and can find connections that the mathematics will miss. If fire is going at this pace and this type of grass, you know, burns at this rate, you need to run at this pace to outrun the fire. Nowhere is going to say, just lie down. Mm. And I find this very interesting, which is we become so reliant on computers now, which, which is the role of experience, the role of wisdom, the role of time, the role of gut, I think is becoming underappreciated to a point where I think, I think anybody who's of age and has been in the workforce for a while, recognize that a young workforce that comes in is almost dismissive of age and experience. Mm. You're so obsessed with game theory and competition, just wax philosophical with me on this. Like going from someone who's pathologically competitive, who's now relaxed and no, you've, you. Oh, I don't, I wouldn't go that far. Okay, <laughs> fine. But you're dealing with the pathology. Yes. So what is your relationship with maths versus gut now yeah Ver I, vers versus before so it's funny because in 2018 i gave a ted talk where i talk about the role of it was like one of these six minute super short yeah. ones and uh i gave like three lessons that poker taught me and the second lesson i talked about was don't overprivilege your gut instinct because i remember you know i was looking into it and every time i googled intuition or instinct mm -hmm. All of the memes are like, your gut is always right. Never second guess it. Mm -hmm. uh, follow your heart. It alone knows the truth. Mm -hmm. Everything. Entrepreneur, entrepreneurs say that all the time. Yeah. Your exactly. secret, my secret was I followed my gut. Yeah. Right, right, right. And it's every single meme was saying that mm. and there was no balance to it. And I was mm. just like, well, this, that's not my lived, you know, my lived experience in, <laughs> use that term, in poker. Sometimes my gut is right, but it, sometimes it's wrong. I, there's an error rate inherent in my in in my intuition, and we should maybe talk about that. And I think this I can imagine this is the case with others as well. And like, let's not you know black and white this too much. So in in that talk, basically, I, I wouldn't go so far to say as I was disparaging of the gut, but I called for moderation. You're raising a very very difficult problem, which is 
a failure rate yes. of our gut. So now we're left standing going, well, then when do I trust my gut? Right. And what you're making a case for is, well, trust the math. At least you know what the failure rate is. That's basically the case I made in, in that talk. <laughs> now I've, I'd say I've swung back in the other direction again <laughs> and think that there is some degree of like, I would even go so far to say as I think there's value in some kind of shared knowledge going on that we can tap into. Like I even made the joke in the talk. It's not like our intuitions come from some magical source of inspiration, mm. you know, and I got a laugh and so on. But now looking back on it, I'm like, hey, you know what? I've had some moments where it literally felt magical of like, mm -hmm. and once I became open to the idea that you can sort of almost tap into some borderline supernatural realm of inspiration, I've started having way more inspiration and okay. insights. Okay, I gotta go down this rabbit hole, okay. right? If we're playing a mathematical theory to the playing of poker, for example, and the more data you collect, the more accurate your statistical knowledge. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know the failure rates of this hand versus that hand, right? Or this gameplay versus that gameplay. And you're talking about failure rates of gut. That means that if you have enough data, you can mitigate failure rates or even reduce failure rates. So it raises the question, how do we make our guts stronger? How do we make our guts right. better to reduce the failure rate? So I think this it starts with <laughs> the same way we, you know, everyone's been talking about cognitive biases now for like the last 20 years. It's a very popular topic. Yeah. But they, again, you know, to use the, the sort of dichotomy of thinking fast and slow, you know, system one, system two, you know, gut lo logic, whatever you want to call it. Just tell people what that is. Yeah, so uh, Thinking Fast and Slow was Daniel Kahneman, right? And uh, he won a Nobel Prize for it. Basically, his research seemed to show that we have two modes of thinking. We have our system one, which is the gut that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. It's like if I was to say, what's five plus five? You immediately know the answer is 10, hopefully. Um, but if I ask you what's 321 plus 75? I have to think. Right. And that is your system two. Mm -hmm. So again, system two is like the linear like voice in your head that sort of will think through this plus this plus this. And system one is the thing that just like knows the answer. So in certain situations, one is better for the other. And mm -hmm. when you're playing poker, like what I actually would do back, you know, I don't play poker anymore, but in, in the peak of my game, the habit I developed was to, you know, like say someone makes a big bet. I try and feel what my gut said in that, like, okay, that was a bluff or okay he's got a strong hand you would practice the feeling yes. of gut yeah and try and practice that and like like what oh, what was my what was my initial feeling as soon as the action was made make a mental note of it and then do the maths and so mm -hmm. on and actually do the logic mm -hmm. be like well okay when the king came on the turn he he thought for a while and then you know he had to think before he bet so that means that but maybe you it wasn't for, the easiest but, now, but then are you looking for things that may not exist and you could also they could also right. be screwing with your Right. They could be delaying things to screw with your attempt to read their tells. Sure, but you can factor that in. You okay. can you like there's all of those like there's there's error rate with everything, but um you know, you're just trying to sort of like sift through through the noise and find the signal. Um so then once you've done your sort of your 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 thinking through of the problem, now you have to try and see, okay, well, does the mathematical conclusion line up with what the guts my initial gut right, feeling right, right. was? Hopefully they're aligned. Great. It's when they're not is 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 the tricky thing. But the, but the trouble is, is that, uh, you know, as we as we know, we ha has an error rate and that error rate comes from, I think, biases. Same as like loss aversion can make us do funny things with our thinking in the system, too. It can also, I think, bias our gut to coming to certain conclusions. Sufficiently. What's so interesting about you and me is you are clearly a scientist. Or at least you approach things with a scientific brain. I'm an artist. 
right? I'm just like chaos, happy, let's see where it goes, find a pattern, right? And so when I think about how to make my gut stronger, my intuition huh, says, fill it. Fill it with seemingly disconnected information. Mm. So for example, if I'm trying to make my gut stronger, let's say I'm a poker player. So I want to fill my gut. It's not by playing more poker. I'm going to do that anyway. I'm going to study the, the tables anyway. Mm. I'm going to go do things that make no sense. I'm going to go to the zoo and look at gorillas. I'm going to go to a dance performance. I'm going to go to a rehearsal. I'm going to go watch a choreographer and how he makes a piece of dance and watch the dancers interact. I'm going to sit in a coffee shop and watch people interact, talk to each other, how they talk to the barista. Unbeknownst to me, see all these subtleties of human behavior. One of my favorite things to do to this day, I love going to a bar or a restaurant and guessing when I look around the restaurant and bar, the couples, are they on a first date? Are they on a second mm. date? Are they a couple already? <laughs> it's really fun to do with just body language. Unbeknownst to me, quote unquote, what I'm studying is human behavior. What I'm studying are tells. What I'm studying is discomfort. What I'm studying is confidence. What I'm studying is insecurity. What I'm studying is hope, desires, dreams as manifested in a funny twitch or a mirroring of our body language. Oh, that's the other fun thing, which is when they are on an early first or second date, is it going well? Mm. And it's actually really easy to tell. I'll, give, I'll just give you a quick, really funny one. I was on a, I was out for dinner with a friend and there's a couple sitting next to us. I could actually hear the conversation, so it was abundantly clear they were on a first date. And you can tell from the body language, they were getting along great. You know, like they were laughing at the same time, they were mirroring each other's body language, they were both leaning in. It was like really magical, right, to, to watch. They wanted to look something up, no problem. He pulled out his phone, no problem. They're, they're both in on it. He typed something in, they look it up, and then he sort of sends a quick text. You know, you can see you can see the interaction, and then puts the phone on the table. And all of a sudden, the body language completely changes. Her arms are folded. She's now leaning back. They're not laughing at the same time anymore. Now, he still thinks the date's going great, but the body language, the whole dynamic is completely changed. I'm praying. I'm like, I hope she goes to the, please go to the bathroom. She gets up and goes to the bathroom, and I lean over to him and go, do you want a little input on your date? And he looks at me and goes, what? I'm like, put the phone away. Do you not see what's going on here? You were getting great and you've completely screwed it up because you pulled your idiot phone out and you've destroyed everything. Put your damn phone away. The date will go better. You know? And did he? Yes. He puts his phone away <laughs> and all of a sudden she comes back and like it, the whole thing works again. But the point is, is like it's those subtleties. What I'm doing is making my gut stronger. Right. And so I think the way that we make our gut stronger is by doing things that make us uncomfortable or put us in unfamiliar situations. But, and you said this because all that gets stored somewhere. Yes. And our bodies and our minds have the ability to recall that if it matters. Mm. And so I think there is a way to make a stronger gut, which is go out and do things that have nothing to do with your job. Certainly with anything that's reading people, body language, then it is all kinds of information is useful. I think all kinds of information is useful, period. It's not about reading people. That's, that's my interest. Mm. That's what I look for. If you're in manufacturing, I, I know what you do. You read all the manufacturing trades, which means all you're doing is reading about what somebody else has already done that you didn't think of, or they're ahead of you, so the best you can do is copy them and be mm. a, a, a follower at best. How about stop reading your own trades and read the trades of other organizations and find out how other companies are solving right. problems that may show up in your industry that nobody else has seen or thought of? Mm. 
Well, certainly giving space as well is incredibly important. Like if you're struggling with an issue, I mean, most of the famous breakthroughs of scientists have been when they actually Work, they were struggle, struggling, 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 but then they take take a break and right. they actually go and do something else. Right. The classic light bulb moment. Yeah. That's Eure Eureka. Your... Literally, he's in the freaking bathtub. Exactly. Yeah. Your intuition, it can't really work all the while you're you're engaged in system two and you're doing the like the linear thinking and so on. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. You're a reformed pathological competitor. Competition and winning has been a theme throughout your life. You are now on an exploration to dispel the myth of the zero-sum game that is oft applied where there is no zero-sum and to find more win-win opportunities, which sounds like world peace. You know, no, and I mean that, I mean that favorably. I mean, I'm not being cynical. Like if everything goes according to the way you're talking, then that is the eventual, that is the eventual outcome. You know? Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. So what insight can you give us to help us better understand competition and how it can be healthy and how we can set ourselves on a path that we can have more win-wins mm. in our life. Yeah, so the main thing I've been musing on over the last year or so is this concept of what's called like a Moloch trap. Moloch was this biblical demon, uh, supposedly. There was this 
awful Canaanite cult who wanted to win at war so badly they would literally sacrifice the thing they held most dear to this burning effigy of this 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 god called Moloch. They would sacrifice their children. And it has this story that's obviously passed down through millennia as a kind of warning of like over-optimizing at winning at a narrow metric, a narrow goal. And through like popular culture over the last few decades, um, there was a, an amazing blog called Meditations on Moloch by Scott Alexander. And I remember reading particularly that blog and it was just like a light bulb moment. It was like borderline religious sort of awakening for mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. reading this because I was like, this thing, this force of over-optimizing for a narrow metric, which makes you sacrifice all the other th the things that actually are important mm -hmm. in order to win. This is the thing that is actually threatening our very existence mm -hmm. on this planet. So give me a practical example, a contemporary practical example mm -hmm. of a Moloch trap. Like in a, a stadium. Yeah. You say you go to a rock concert or something yeah. and everyone's sitting down and has you know the view they have. But a few people down the front want a slightly better view, so they stand up. Yeah. That forces the people behind them to stand up, the people behind them, until everyone is now standing up. And because it's so loud, there's no way for everyone to sort of now coordinate to sit back down again. So everyone's stuck standing for the rest of the show, right. even whether they want to or not. And no one's got a better view than they have before because everyone is just standing. It's it might the same, even be worse. Might right. even be worse, exactly. So everyone is now worse off than before, but there is no easy way for everyone to coordinate and sit back down again. So they're trapped in this like lower order state. Another good example I like of this is the these beauty filters mm -hmm. that are like now prolific everywhere on social mm -hmm. media. For a while I was playing like the Instagram game, trying to grow, mm -hmm. I've given up on that bloody platform. But, uh, you know, I noticed that when I would post pictures, A, if I posted a picture that was like more scantily clad than clothed, mm -hmm. that would get more likes. But then when these uh, beauty filters started mm -hmm. appearing mm -hmm. where like with one click, it would just like tweak your features mm -hmm. in really subtle ways, but very effective ways. If I used those, mm -hmm. I would get more likes. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that these filters, they would make you hate the original picture. Like, you know, I'd, maybe I would upload a picture that I really liked of myself, mm -hmm. but then I'd apply the filter to make it just that little bit better. And now I no longer like the original. It'd make me feel ugly, in fact. And you're doing this under experimental conditions and it still had a psychological Absolutely, impact. Absolutely, yeah. I, well, I, well, so A, I was partly doing it for an experiment, but B, I was like, well, I'll try posting some of these right. because I do want to grow my Instagram and this does seem to be more effective. Yeah. And then I started thinking, well, if I'm doing it, probably everyone else is doing it right, too. Right, 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 right. So there are these massive incentives, these short-term incentives to get, you know, short-term get ahead yeah. to use these things. But long-term, it's not only bad for right. the individual using it, but it's bad for the whole. A, it's it's encouraging everyone else to do it too. It's also making people not know what they can trust. Right. It just creates this like sea of like inauthenticity and like dopamine hijacking. Just to right. win at this short-term narrow game of getting more likes and followers. So to translate in my words, so just so I'm clear, a Moloch trap, basically when you fall into a Moloch trap, you've lost the plot. You've no longer understand the infinite game and you're now so obsessed with the finite game that you have to win at this thing at you any cost. Yes, you end up sacrificing you, you, other really important actually, things. Sacrificing other things, sometimes your own mental health. Yes. Not realizing that it's happening because you're watching that short-term arbitrary, a very often metric, go right. up. The scary thing about a Moloch trap, and I think you're 100% right that exists, it's one thing for a person to fall into a Moloch trap. But what I think is even more insidious is when entire companies or corporate cultures fall into a Moloch trap. Or nations. Or nations fall or into civilizations, yeah. Where the incentive structures are gaming our dopamine systems, they're incentivizing behavior that encourages 
everybody to get into the Moloch trap. Mm-hmm. The outcome is putting chemicals in food or increasing the price of a, an essential drug a thousand percent, fifteen hundred percent, so you can hit some number. And the ripple effects are at the minimum uncomfortable, but at worst really devastating. Another phrasing you can use is uh, negative sum games. Yeah. In theory, you know, a game is a constrained little thing, but in reality, there's always externalities. Right. The question is, are the externalities making the world better or making the world worse? Yeah. And like in the beauty filters, for yeah. example, is, you know, everyone's playing the influencer game, but, you know, on net, it's probably making the world worse. The fact that these this technology right. exists, that's, in, you know, everyone's incentivized to use. Another example is the same Moloch trap that the media are currently, currently in. Yeah. You know, especially since... I mean, they've always been playing the sort of if it bleeds, it leads game, yeah. um, you know, amplifying negative, sure. particularly violent things more than probably they, they deserve to get ratings. But ever since, you know, now basically the competition dial has been turned up to the maximum with the Internet, you know, yeah. new media, et cetera. Old legacy media companies that used to basically, you know, they had a very cushy, cushy sure. life are now under pressure to do whatever they can to, right. to stay afloat. Right. And that right now, the most rewarding thing is like, Play into the culture wars. Oh, what's yep. our user base? Our readership are, are all Democrats or our readership are all Republicans. What can we do to rile them up to keep them coming back for more and more and yep. more? It's the same like junk food type thing. It yep. just happens to be news junk food. That's Moloch's game. Moloch loves it. It, it you know, if, if there's only one person that's benefiting from that and that's Moloch. It's the demon eating your babies is the only one enjoying this. Exactly. Most of the journalists, they're not particularly happy about this either. Yeah. Even the good faith ones are kind of stuck in this same game because yeah. if they don't do it, then their company is going to fail. What you're talking about is, is awful because what happens when it is full-blown ethical fading, mm. which is where people can then rationalize their behavior inside them. So they're in the Moloch trap. They're right. doing these things. But then they say things like, well... Everybody else is doing it. If I, I might as well it, anyway. Yeah. I might, I, I, if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. You know, I have to do it to get ahead. My, this is what my company asks me to do. I mean, what choice do I have? Mm-hmm. Or my personal favorite, it's the system. And it's interesting because there is some truth to that, yeah. right? Like the system is screwed up. Yeah. The incentives are whack. You know, by, by it optimizing for the short term, it creates these bad <clears> outcomes. <throat> But it also, for Moloch to really get a stranglehold on a situation, it also needs the individuals to do the short-term selfish thing. So it's there's two points of failure, which also means there's two points of success yeah. as well. Like A, like redesign the system. That's probably the easiest thing, if, if possible, redesign a system so that the incentives acting on the individual that's, in the short term are aligned order, to the whole. So we have to have the conversation even for a few minutes. Then how do you get out of a Moloch trap? Let's stick with some of our analogies here. So in the stadium, because I have an idea here, but I'm curious what you think. In the stadium, how do we get everybody to sit down for the greater good? Right. So there's one route, which is God's eye view. Have some kind of coordination mechanism, i.e. a tannoy system, Mm -hmm. to go, okay, everyone, look, we're all standing up. We don't want this anymore, do we? People at the front, please don't stand up again, because look what you did. Basically, central coordination, some centralized power structure to be able to say, look, guys, this is the rule. Sit down. The show's not going to go on until everyone's sitting down. Okay, good. Now we can carry on. That's one way. The other way would be for everyone to sort of enough pockets of people to either become simultaneously enlightened (laughs) (laughs) to be like, well, this is stupid. You know what? I'm going to sit down completely. I won't even see the show, but maybe my effects will have a ripple effect. So some people to do like an actual sacrifice, completely sacrifice and essentially quit the game. Right. That's what you're doing by sitting down. And now you can only see backs. You're quitting the game of trying to see the show. Right. Of That's compete, the other of mechanism. Of competing to see the show. Of competing to see the show. You're right. like just quitting the game entirely, but it's actually coming at a real hit because now you're not going to see anything, but right. you're like, I'm just going to do this out of like moral indignation. 
in theory, if enough people sort of do that, that might have a ripple effect too. Yeah, yeah. That's the other way. Now, I don't know which one's more actual plot. You know, if we now sort of transpose this concept onto, let's say... Corporate culture. Corporate culture or farmers farmers on the edge of the Brazilian rainforest, the Amazon rainforest, who are slowly like eating into it, cutting it down because they need more land for their cows and the, and the wood is more, you know, they can turn that wood into, mm. into money quickly. How do we get them to all simultaneously agree? You know what? We're not going to do this. We're not going to see each other as competitors. Mm. Um we're going to find another form of business model that doesn't mm-hmm. require us cutting down the rainforest. And, and look, it's really hard. There's plenty of examples. I mean, the answer is it depends, right? So what you're talking about is some sort of authority figure saying, okay, stop, this is going to happen. It's for your own good. It's parental, it's governmental, however, whatever your bias is. And we know this is like when we asked people to wear seatbelts and they didn't. So the government passed a law that says everybody has to wear a seatbelt. Right. And we hate it and we complained about it. But it turns out we all now wear seatbelts and turns out that the loss of life in car accidents has dramatically declined because of safety features in cars and dun dun mm. da seatbelts. The difficulty is is that rules a you know, if you have too much centralized control, that yeah. now leaves you vulnerable to tyranny and all you know, authoritarianism and all that nightmare. And also certain rules do just have error rates. Like, you know, I was kind of like, yes, centralized centralized control is the way, and then we went through COVID and now I'm like kind of swinging in the other direction because it's just like man I've seen what happens when you have centralized control that where it's run by idiots and they made so many mistakes now it's like okay that's not the way either so so what we're the, the, there's a great irony in this whole conversation which is we're right back to where we were talking before about the role between the mathematics and the gut which is its art and science and the answer I think is is it's not either or it's the ability to understand and use both and you said it I think you as a poker player is a perfect metaphor for how this works, which is I had to maximize my knowledge of the mathematics. At the same time, I had to maximize my knowledge of the intuition and the gut, and I became a better poker player as both skills improved. Mm. And I think it's finding that magical balance, which is imperfect, using authority appropriately, but at the same time, allowing people to sort of like learn things themselves and, and sort of get community to be a part of it. Right. It's it's finding the balance between centralized and decentralized. It's top and bottom. It's, exactly. it's top, top down, down and bottom, bottom up. up simultaneously. We need whatever system we move to has to be some kind of hybrid model of yeah. both and have very the, like, interesting. the adaptability and wisdom to know which to to like lean more heavily on. It's very interesting. Someone even described once that if you could try and distill the culture war down, the, the, all the various culture wars down into like what is the generator function aside of Moloch, which is like probably the thing that's like feeding it. But most of them are a battle between centralization and decentralization. Yeah, 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 yeah. As a form of sure. like as power structures. Yeah, yeah. As philosophies, yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a whole new podcast. Yeah, and, and and the reality is is that we need to find a hybrid model that can, yeah. takes the best bits of both. Correct. No, you're both right and you're both wrong simultaneously. Yes. Now work together. Yeah. yeah. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. <laughs> okay, I'm not letting you off the hook. I want to go back to the original question of what do you do? Like, how do you define yourself and that discomfort? And for those of you who can't see Liv, she squirmed in her chair <laughs> as she attempted to answer that question. Okay, so I, um, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. I'm going to make it, I'm going to try and help if Thank I may. You. You've had a remarkable journey in your career and still many, many, many years ahead, we hope. Tell me something specific that you've done in your career. Doesn't matter in what job or what capacity. It doesn't matter if it was commercially successful or not. Those things are irrelevant. Something specific you've done in your career that you absolutely loved being a part of, and if everything you did was like this one thing, you'd be the happiest person alive. Mm. These two short films I've made about Moloch, mm -hmm. especially the first one, the Beauty Wars one, about mm -hmm. these beauty filters. I, I, I made it in this garden shed mm -hmm. in this house that we were staying in over the summer in Oxford. And... I just, like, I probably went crazy, frankly. It was because I made everything in that film. That feeling of, like, mm -hmm. feeling like I've truly created something that mm -hmm. did not exist before, that I care about so much that I know, like, if people can feel what I felt, mm -hmm. I really think is going to help solve these issues that we're mm -hmm. in. That that moment, when I pressed send, and, like, when it was finished, mm -hmm. and I, I watched it back, and watching it back and feeling just deeply proud of mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That so, was the moment. So you've done some amazing things in your career. You've won tournaments. You were a world champion of poker. You've outperformed others in school and, and other places. You've done things that you were proud of. What was it about this one thing that seems to stand out from the other things that were what others would say mm. accomplishments? What stands out is it, it it's actually touching on a fundamental truth. Like, you know, I, the first thing that popped ahead when you, to my mind when you mentioned that you know, asked the question was, oh, well, oh, I won that big tournament in mm -hmm. Europe. Like that was the highest high mm -hmm. for sure. Like I, I, un, unfathomable, you know, I went, I won $1.7 million. It was like a week of playing. It like catapulted me to stardom. I was having all these journalists wanting to take my picture, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That was like the highest dopamine imaginable, but mm -hmm. man, was the crash intense afterwards. Mm -hmm. But it didn't have, it didn't carry the same meaning. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, 
finishing this this video that I struggled on for ages and ages and ages, but like I could then play it back and be like, this is really good piece of art mm -hmm. that actually has really important meaning loaded mm -hmm. loaded in it. Okay, was just this different type of satisfaction. Got it. It was like, yeah, it, I don't know. It felt like eating a piece of really good broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> um, tell me an early specific happy childhood memory. Something I can relive with you. Not like we went to my grandparents on the weekends. No, Just like no, something no. specific I can relive with you. I was, I had my friends staying over and I think we were like camping out in um, the field out, out the back of our house. And we, in the middle of the night, we, we couldn't really sleep and we went up into the fields and I had, my horse was mm -hmm. in the field. And I was very lucky that I had a horse as a, as a kid. We went and laid down on the ground just to look at the stars and mm -hmm. my horse came over and just, I just remember his eyes, he looked like an alien mm -hmm. leaning over us. And you know, there's always a rule, like never be on the ground, like never lie down next to a horse that's standing, you know, mm -hmm. they might stand on you. But we both trusted him so much mm -hmm. and he came and just like was, nuzzling with us and mm -hmm. and i don't know i just remember his like there was just so much so much joy and love in that moment mm -hmm. yeah what was it about this story that really makes you smile that you want to talk about it it was just so simple i wasn't thinking about Just bringing up a lot like thinking about childhood stuff because I, my very good friend just found out they're getting a divorce and it's really um it's really uh, sorry it's no, bringing it's up fine. a lot take, take your time <laughs> it was just, it's just the simplicity of it where I, I wasn't thinking all day long about like <laughs> moloch problems <laughs> um do you know the beauty of everything you just said from the story of making the film to the story you had with the childhood and even your friends whose marriage is collapsing, think about that, which is somebody else's marriage has brought you to tears, right? It's the human relationship and it's the beauty of little things. Yeah. And how we've overcomplicated our world so much that we've broken, hurt, eliminated, obfuscated, beautiful little things that make us smile yeah what's important is that the story you told from your childhood wasn't about you lying in a field with the horse it was about you lying in the field with your friend with the horse it was this magical shared experience and when i pushed you on the the making of the film versus you know other things that you've accomplished in your life you talk about the dopamine highs which are pretty selfish mm. look what i did and where you really got excited, all the hard work that you may have done by yourself, but I'm sure there's other people involved that you talk to and bounce ideas off of, of course. But when you push send, you said specifically, this is for other people, like the impact it, it has for other people. It felt, it's just like a very win-win-y thing. It's a very win-win-y thing yeah. that this is magical for everyone involved. And though there's danger, don't lie down with a horse. Though there's danger, this could be misperceived by others. Though there's danger, I'm going to get some flack for this. At the end of the day, the magic that is produced was worth it and is worth it. The failure of your friend's marriage is just, I think you're deeply, deeply in love with and deeply, deeply protective of human relationships. And you're watching a world where human relationships are failing. Yeah. Whether they're formal relationships like a marriage, but more importantly, it's just our ability to interact with each other. And the whole concept and your obsession with win-win is literally just getting along. 
Like I want the person I'm negotiating my contract with to also succeed in this negotiation. Right. Like that's what win-win is. I want my partner to be happy in this marriage. I want my friend to enjoy this magic. We can't sleep. Let's go do something together. I want other people to have real life benefit. And when you talk about the Moloch trap, what you're talking about is compulsive selfishness. What drives you, your your why, is compulsive sharing, compulsive giving, compulsive friendship, relationships, all of these things. In an instant, I understand you better than when I started, which is you're a softie for love. Yeah, I think it's it's just like it, there's so much conflict and, you know, there's so many systemic reasons that we can't coordinate that when I see two people who, you know, yes, okay, maybe they're not the best match for each other, but when, when I see that you know, basically one party in this, well, both, you know, I'm sure there's a, it's a two-way street, but one is choosing like the Max Payne route right now. And it's so unnecessary. Yeah. It's like, there's so much conflict going in the world. Why add, you right. know, Relationships you have a choice. fail, it happens. Yes, it happens. But why not show up for this divorce to help the other person land on their feet? Right. Yeah. As opposed to hurting them because you hurt me. Right. And it's just like, what is this thing inside us that makes us go into like to choose the dark path? Yeah, that's that is that's it, one of my favorite uh, metaphors is like someone gets their arm bitten off by an alligator, and then another person gets their arm cut off by an axe murderer. Which of those two people do you think carries more trauma going through life? Usually, you think well, it's, I think most people would select the person who had their arm cut off by the axe murderer. Why? Because you know, no one blames an alligator. It's just doing what it does. Right. Like, it's, it's, not, its its nature. It's its nature. Whereas, it doesn't have to be human nature to right. go for Max Payne right. to like fight against each other. Right. You know, see things as a zero sum competition or like hurt each other. Right. And it's that act of when people choose to do that yep. that it like it's like oh, it hurts so much. So this is where when somebody says to you, "What do you do?" Right. Here's the answer. Right. Okay. You have a new answer. When somebody says, "What do you do?" And you can say, I'm obsessed with people getting along. I'm obsessed with people doing the right thing for those around them. And I have done many things in my life, all of which have taught me the dangers of competition where we put ourselves before others and the magic of sacrifice where we put others before ourselves mm. and striking the balance where we can just get along. These days, I'm working on a concept of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> right? But I think that's yeah. where you that's where you play, which is you really just want us to work. Realize that win-wins are possible and may even be the default order of things if we just like open our minds up to that possibility. Yeah. Liv, it's such a joy. You are magical. Thank and, you. Um, <laughs> Sorry for crying. Please, on your please. No, I <laughs> never done that one before. Well, you know <laughs> It's been a day. <laughs> But it's good. It means that I think what's important to understand in that in that situation, which is, and I think it's a perfect metaphor. It's a perfect way to conclude what we're talking about. Competition is mathematical. It's about keeping score. It's about measuring. Mm. It's about weighing. It's, it's about, about enforced constraints. Enforced constraints, analyzing the person you're supposed to beat. And at the end of the day, you realize that I can only control so much in this thing called life. And at the end of the day, I have to learn to feel, I have to learn empathy, I have to learn love, because 
the other one just won't work. And there's such this beautiful cadence to this whole conversation that ended, quite frankly, when you saw something that should be about relationship become about a competition. Yes. And it's not about a competition. Right. Ironic, right? That you're obsessed with game theory, but it's really anti-game theory. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Well, you're, that's the thing. Com competition is such a beautiful thing if we can in, do in, it in 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 the right intended places. places. Exactly. Right. Compete, like compete in the places we're supposed to compete, like yeah. in a game. Exactly. Voluntarily, we're going to play a game. And Everybody agrees. Exactly. We're, we're gonna, competing for we a scarce to the resource. Rules. We yes. agree to the outcome. Yeah. We agree to the finish line. Absolutely, have a competition and exploit every opportunity advantage you have to win in that competition within the rules. Right. Outside of the game, stop playing the game. Right. Just fucking get along. <laughs> and on that note, thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, please subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you'd like even more optimism, check out my website, simonsinek.com, for classes, videos, and more. Until then... Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com.